Welcome to the Foresight Health Roundup podcast, Foresight Health's podcast series for healthcare revolutionaries. Outcomes matter, customers count, and value rules. Hello again, everyone. This is Dave Berta, news editor at Foresight Health. It is Thursday, December 29th. I'm actually taping from Santa's workshop, where they're already busy for next year. Please excuse the noise. Turns out one of the elves is a six foot four carpenter. I hope you enjoyed your week off between Christmas and New Year's uh, because it all ends Monday, baby, maybe Tuesday. That's when your boss comes back from their exotic vacation or one of their summer homes, all full of ideas that they came up with while sitting on a deck chair, drinking and avoiding their families. Laugh now, you'll see. But before the craziness starts, we're going to take a look back at 2022 and some of the biggest healthcare stories of the year. To reveal their choices are Dave Johnson, founder and CEO of Foresight Health, and Julie Merchantson, partner at Transformation Capital. But before we say hello to Dave and Julie, I wanted to say hello to the sponsor of the Foresight Health Roundup podcast, Infor. By connecting the business and mission sides of healthcare, institutions can enhance staff experience and simplify patient interactions. With data-driven insights and greater operational control, our sponsor, Infor, supports your company in making healthcare a calling again for your staff. Hi, Dave. Hi, Julie. How are you guys doing this morning, Dave? As we usher in 2023, I'm trying to make sense out of 2022. We started the year with the COVID pandemic raging, and we're ending the year with another surge. In between, Americans seem to be doing everything in their power to forget that a pandemic ever even happened. I guess at least the U.S. policy is better than China's. So happy new year. (laughs) Starting us off on a cheery note. Thanks, Dave. Julie, how are you? I am wonderful. I've been doing my best to relax as we round out 2022, and I hope everyone's doing the same. Very good. Thank you. Now, before we talk about the biggest healthcare stories of 2022, I wanted to ask you about your New Year's Eve plans. Dave, are you staying in, going out? How are you going to ring in the new year? Well, we're definitely going to stay in, and I doubt we'll even make it to midnight. The reason for that is because you and I are road tripping to Green Bay on New Year's Day to watch the Vikings-Packers game. You know, for the first time in recent history, I think there are going to be as many people wearing purple in the stands as they are that ugly green and gold. Maybe the worst uniforms in professional sports should be a blast. Well, I liked part of what you said, but we'll talk about that on our drive up. Thanks, Dave. (laughs) Julie, how about you? Where are you popping a bottle of champagne to welcome in the new year? Well, I think we're headed out to the mountains. We are still TBD. But to be honest with you, I don't really care what we do. But now we're at that stage where our teenagers do care. So this is a tough stage. <laughs> yeah, you got to you gotta be available, right? 24-7. So, uh, yep, you definitely shift into a new phase. Thank you. We're probably staying in, maybe getting together with a few friends or family. Nothing that requires a reservation or me wearing a suit. Uh, I'm definitely watching the Michigan TCU game. Go Blue! The prospect of Michigan and Ohio State playing for the national championship, to me, is almost too much to think about because the loser of that would be stigmatized until the end of time. 
Anyway, speaking of the end of time, it's almost the end of 2022, and healthcare made all kinds of news this year, good and bad. Dave, give me your biggest healthcare story of the year and tell us why it topped your list. And if you have a close runner up or honorable mention, tell us that too. Well, speaking of the Vikings, they once had a running back named Leroy Horde, who was great on short yardage plays. He once told his coach, if you need one yard, I'll get you three. If you need five yards, I'll get you three. So in the spirit of Leroy Horde, Dave, if you want one big story for 2022, I'll give you one. If you want two big stories, I'll give you one. And that story (laughs) is that we're going (laughs) and that story is that we're going to remember 2022 as the year when the nonprofit healthcare business model began to collapse. But before we discuss current times, uh, let's go back to 1980. That fall, the healthcare futurist Jeff Goldsmith wrote an influential article in Harvard Business Review on the healthcare marketplace titled, Can Hospitals Survive? Here's the article's headline advice to healthcare executives at the time. In an increasingly competitive and resource-regulated market, Hospital managers must develop alternative and less costly healthcare methods. As the French say, plus ça change, plus c'est la même chose. The more things change, the more they remain the same. Value is as value does. Healthcare has supposedly been chasing value for decades, but all it's really been doing is chasing its tail. Goldsmith predicted a massive decline in hospital inpatient volume predicated on the following three trends. First, the emergence of ambulatory technologies would enable physicians to compete successfully with hospitals at lower cost in their offices or in freestanding settings. Second, advancing post-acute technologies would enable presently hospitalized patients to be managed at home. And three, rapidly growing managed care plans would ration inpatient care and bargain aggressively to pay less for the care actually provided. All of these predictions have come true to a greater or lesser extent. Inpatient volume has consistently declined since the 1980s. Hospital at home and other value-driven post-acute strategies finally took hold during COVID, and health plans effectively ration inpatient care through high-deductible health plans. Goldsmith's predicted demise of hospitals didn't happen not because he got the trends wrong. It didn't happen because he underestimated the hospital industry's political and market leverage. Even as inpatient volume has declined, hospitals have maintained artificially high prices under fee-for-service medicine for increasingly routine services in both hospitals and ambulatory settings. They've been able to do this in two ways. First, by winning pro-hospital regulatory policies, and secondly, through local market consolidation that has given many health systems monopoly pricing power. Payers have played the game too, don't want to leave them out, upping healthcare premiums and profits under administrative services only contracts, ASOs. These artificial economics for hospitals started to unravel in 2022 as several new forces amplified the negative impact of the market trends that Goldsmith accurately identified way back in 1980. These include skyrocketing supply, labor and drug costs, new competitors, softening volume, a declining payer mix, increasing consumerism, the imposition of pro-market regulatory policies on pricing transparency and interoperability, an unwillingness for the government to provide more emergency funding, and a negative media environment that is starting to target quote-unquote greedy nonprofit health systems. 
the impact of these forces has been greater on nonprofit healthcare providers who lack the strategic and operating flexibility of their for-profit competitors. The result has been staggering operating losses with no end in sight. This is occurring at many of the most prestigious health systems, including Providence, the Cleveland Clinic, and Mass General Brigham. I mentioned on a recent podcast that it's impossible to turn elephants into gazelles. The economic foundation underlying nonprofit healthcare is cracking, yet we can't count on nonprofit health systems to solve their operating dilemma. Their primary solution centers on demanding more revenues from payers to sustain their broken business models. Unfortunately, it's time for policymakers to start developing a healthcare Marshall Plan to move from the untenable current state to a more desirable, higher value future state that more effectively meets the needs of the American people. So bring on 2023. The not-for-profit emperor has no clothes. Thanks, Dave. Julie, any questions for Dave? So Dave, what do you think a couple of the top few signs will be of this really unraveling so we know it's actually really happening? Great question, Julie. And I guess probably the first place that we'll see this happen in a major way is in the bond markets. A major health system will trigger a technical default or maybe several will will trigger technical defaults when they can't meet the covenant tests related to cash flow margins and so on. It would become even more impactful if we saw an actual payment default. Now, most of the biggest health systems have ample balance sheets that can carry them through for some period of time. But if your goal this year is to stop losing $30 million a month and instead lose $20 million a month, that can't stay on forever. So I would say that is a big sign. The other thing that's looming out there that nobody's really talking about or not talking about enough is bankruptcy of the Medicare trust fund, which is only a couple of years off. And as hospitals are demanding more revenues, every penny extra that comes out of the government is one penny less to sustain the fund. So at some point, we're going to have to address that or Congress is going to have to address that. And that type of crisis could also, I think, bring things to a head. But this isn't a bad thing because we as a country overspend on healthcare, on acute healthcare and underspend on health. And if we can come through this crisis in a way that promotes more health and we fund it by spending less on health care, that's a good thing. Got it. Thanks, Dave. Julie, now it's your turn. What topped your list for the biggest healthcare story of the year? Tell us why it's your number one and let us know if you have a close runner up or an honorable mention. Okay. Well, with the massive workforce crisis, overturning of Roe v. Wade, the major M&A announcements. I mean, this has been quite a year for healthcare and we're not really even out of the operational nature of what COVID has done to our system. So unfortunately, I have to go with the obvious. And I have to say that while one is slightly more blood boiling than the other, there are two in my book. Sorry, Berta. (laughs) (laughs) One is the fall of Roe v. Wade and the other is Amazon acquiring one medical. So here we go. Roe v. Wade, you know, as a woman and a mother, of course, the impact of Roe's fall has made patients seeking fertility treatment and doctors attempting to navigate the legal implications of performing abortions in their states truly hard to fathom. But I really want to focus a little bit more on the impact this is going to have on the industry because 
Well, I've watched several companies launch in the last 18 months that are focused on specific populations. I've talked about this, right? Women, Asians, Medicaid, teens, LGBTQ, transgender, you name it. A company has started to serve their needs in a more tailored way in so many populations. And I've seen a few of these models really potentially reach scale in the near term, but they're all contributing to something really important. And the population that I think is really taking off is women because not just because of women, but because Roe is really inspiring this energy and women are changing healthcare's focus on us without even intending to. We're actively seeking more from our health and more from our providers. And old ladies like me are sick of the status quo and menopause care. So we're starting companies around it. And mothers are sick of mental health care and how it's working for their teens. So they're you know, really stepping into that. Um, and women and men, I'll give you that, who are taking care of parents and other family or friends as caregivers are getting airtime. I mean, this is really amazing. So we're turning a corner in, in the potential way we have always talked about women who make the healthcare decision. And she finally wants it to be about her. So I think as much of a disaster as Roe is socially, from a policy perspective, politically, I'm outraged for all those reasons. There is a silver lining here and Rosie the Riveter is here to stay and she is pissed. <laughs> number two, yeah, number two, of course, is Amazon One Medical. And we've discussed this a lot. So I just want to give a couple of anecdotes and not kind of rehash. First, I was on a panel of healthcare investors a couple of weeks ago where I was the only one who thought that this combination had legs. I mean, really? We've got a lot of old thinking, even among the investment ranks. And second, I was with a senior executive from one of the Blues Plans a couple weeks ago talking about this. And he gave me this great vision of, you know, just being in his living room on his phone, watching his favorite prime show while waiting for the doctor and then getting the notification that the doctor's ready. And boom, there you are having your visit. When your visit's over, you click a few buttons and complete whatever you need to do next. And oh, by the way, you throw in some toilet paper and then you you purchase and you go back to your prime show. I mean, it sounds kind of appealing, right? That's That could be a huge part of the vision of where Amazon takes this. That may not sound great to everybody, but I guarantee you if you're 22 today, that sounds amazing. So will it be the Holy Grail? No. Will it shut down Optum United or CVS Aetna? No, probably not anytime soon, but it could certainly be a fierce competitor. And does it have the potential to dominate a select level of care for all of us? Absolutely. Well, I'm 62 and it does sound great to me. Thanks, Julie. <laughs> Dave, any questions for Julie? Well, those were two great choices and right on on the Dobbs decision, both short-term and long-term. I guess what I worry about there more than anything else is a sizable majority of Americans believe in a woman's right to choose whether to advance a pregnancy or not. And imposing a minority opinion on the majority can have grave political consequences. And one of them has been, as, as you mentioned, just energizing women who are mad as hell. And, and like you, I'm, <laughs> I believe Amazon One Medical will be a big thing in and of itself, but I think it will also shape the marketplace in ways so that the Optums and 
CVSs of the world become even more consumer-centric and effective as well. But I'm not going to ask you about either of those because I agree with you on both. But my question for you is, what's the biggest healthcare story in 2022 that no one is talking about? Well, the hard part of answering that question is that plenty of people are talking about this, but Dave, you and I don't actually talk about this. We do talk about Epic a lot. I think it's, of course, as you know, the most kind of unheard story out there for how the damage that that company is doing. But that's not what I'm going to talk about. You and I don't talk a lot about Optum. I think a lot of people, certainly on Wall Street, do. But when you look at what's happening at Optum, they are fierce, by the way, right? And when you look at the growth uh, that they have seen from their Optum Health, Optum Insight, and Optum Rx businesses, Optum Health has grown tremendously in the last few years. So they're really dominating on the service side and the ability to really drive price, to drive market share, to drive a lot of different downstream decisions. So that's something that you and I don't talk about a lot that I think is a sleeping giant. Asset light and ready. (laughs) Watch out. Yeah, I, I recently read a story about the motivation behind them buying primary care practices is to lower their medical loss ratio and drive more profit. So, uh, Amberta, yeah. Do you know the first year that Optum, well, really United bought a primary care practice? No. What would you kind of guess roughly? The first year they bought their first practice? Yeah. Boy. I would say, what, 2019, 2018? Dave? I'm going to guess, just to be different, um, 1992. Oh, my gosh. Wow. That's pretty good. So I probably don't have the exact year right, but I think I just heard that it's 1995. Okay. (laughs) I was actually really surprised by my lack. I would have thought it was more around... 2005 timeframe because they rebranded as Optum in 2010. So, you know, it's just, it's been going on for a long time is my point. Wow. Yeah. The reason I guess nineties was that was when we saw FICOR and some of the other physician consolidation. So I figured yeah, United must've been in on the act in some way or wow. another. Wow. You got to find the actuary who patched that plan. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Thanks, Julie. I'll just tell a quick story. Years ago, I worked with a young news editor who, when she started, held back a story or two in the morning just in case something didn't happen that afternoon or evening or the next morning. And I gently explained to her that a big healthcare story breaks every day, every hour, if not every five minutes. And you never, ever hold a story just in case nothing happens, because as we all know, something always happens in healthcare. That was true then, it's true now, and it will definitely be true in 2023. So get ready for another year of Great Foresight Health Roundup podcast next year. And on that note, let's briefly talk about what else happened this week. Julie, what other news is worth mentioning? Well, something I didn't get a chance to mention because of our little Christmas break was the scan care organ combination. I don't know if you guys saw this, but they are combining to create a $6.8 billion, 800-person managed Medicare and Medicaid plan. Hmm. So this is really scan, I think, getting much deeper into Medicaid, frankly. So watch out, Sachin and Jane, coming your way. All right. We'll keep an eye on that. Thanks, Julie. Dave, something else big happened this week, I'm sure. What was it? Well, I was struck by AbbVie's decision earlier this month to part company with the two leading lobbying groups for Big Pharma, 
A cynical reading of this move would suggest AbbVie's frustrated by their lobbyists' inability to forestall the legislation that enabled Medicare to begin negotiating drug prices. A less cynical reading, and I hope this is true, is that AbbVie is doing some soul searching and trying to figure out how to better serve its customers and the American people. Like most big decisions, it's probably a mixture of both selfish and unselfish motivations. Let's see what AbbVie does in 2023. Yeah, no, keep an eye on that, too. I don't think they'll be broken up uh, for long. That's my prediction. Thanks, Dave. And thank you again, Julie. And Happy New Year to you both. And thanks to our sponsor, Infor. Infor connects the business and mission sides of healthcare, enhancing the staff experience and simplifying patient interactions with data-driven insights and greater operational control. That is all the time we have for today. If you'd like to learn more about the topics we discussed on today's show, please visit our website at foresighthealth.com. And don't forget to tell a friend about the Foresight Health Roundup podcast. Subscribe now and don't miss another segment of the best 20 minutes in healthcare. Thanks for listening. I'm Dave Berta for Foresight Health.